Hi, this is Stempunk. I'm Tom and we're going to interview a guest today and that guest is much better at introducing themselves than I am. So take it away, guest. Who are you? What do you do? My name's Matt. I'm studying a double bachelor's degree at the University of Sydney. I'm in my third year now doing mechatronic space engineering as well as science majoring in physics. Okay, you had me at mechatronics. <laughs> uh, tell me a bit about mechatronics. What does that mean? Mechatronics, it's a very new field of engineering. It's basically combining mechanical, electrical, and software. So what we're doing is making robots, basically. You have some hardware, then you've got some components inside, and you're designing controllers as well. So sensing, controlling, then actuating some mechanical part of that robot. So do you specialize in a part? So let's say you've got a whole robot. Do you specialize in the coding or the, uh, the engineering part or the, mm -hmm. uh, the sensors part? I like to think that I'm fairly well-rounded at the moment, so I can sort of dabble in lots of stuff. I do enjoy playing with hardware, doing stuff like 3D printing, lots of CAD modeling, CNC cutting, that sort of stuff. But then also doing the coding as well is really cool because I think... We're at a unique position as mechatronics engineers. We get to see the entire system. We go all the way from designing this cool robot, manufacturing it, and then coding as well. Whereas if you're just a mechanical engineer, you stop at the design. Or if you're doing software, you just take over at the end. So uh -huh. I get to see the entire development of this robot. I think it's really cool. Yeah, right. Um, it's funny you mentioned the 3D printing thing because the first time I met you, you were doing a project mm. with me a couple of years ago where we were trying to use a phone to do a very simple measurement. And the first thing you did was 3D print a part mm -hmm. uh, to hold the phone. I think that, was, uh, that makes sense to me now that you're into that 3D printing engineering stuff. I think it's just a way of thinking as well. As an engineer, you're always looking at problems and trying to find solutions. And I think it's a really powerful ability to be able to go out there and make things. That's what they mentioned. We'll get to that shortly. But at this competition that we're going to talk about, yeah. that was what they mentioned on the opening presentation, that you in the room had that unique skill to think of things and then build cool things. And not all people can do that. So really develop that and share it with people as well. Get them excited about making stuff. Okay, so let's go there straight away because we could dwell on mechatronics mm -hmm. and, and all of that. So you mentioned the competition. Tell me about this competition. Mm -hmm. So I'm a member of the University of Sydney's rocketry team and we competed in the Spaceport America Cup in June of this year. This is an intercollegiate rocket engineering competition which combines about 120 universities from around the world. And the challenge is basically build a rocket and fly it to a certain height. And we were entering the 10,000 feet commercial off-the-shelf category, which means that our rocket motor was purchased. We just built the rocket around it. And we ended up taking out first place. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> I just think that's awesome. How, okay, I'm going to take a step back. Mm -hmm. How many categories were there? There are six categories. Okay, so, so commercial, off-the-shelf, mm -hmm. there'd yeah. be like completely self-funded or completely self-made mm -hmm. categories, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we have commercial off the shelf, where you purchase the solid motor yourself. You've also got student researched and designed solid motors. So students are there mixing their own rocket chemicals together, then pouring them into tubes and making the motors from scratch. And then you've also got uh, hybrids and liquids that are student research and design. So they're building their own hybrid rocket motors and liquid rocket motors. So you were in the commercial off the shelf team. 
mm-hmm. or category. Yeah. Where do you buy a rocket from? Yeah, there there are a number of suppliers out there. <laughs> that sounds like you're going to say I could tell you, but then I'd have to shoot you. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all it's all done according to regulation. Sure. Uh, in Australia, the big supplier is Australian Rocketry, and if you're licensed as a pyrotechnician in the state that you're in, you can actually obtain these rocket motors. And then if you're a certified member of a rocketry club, you can actually launch those rocket motors safely. And does the UC Rocketry Club qualify for a certified rocketry club? Yeah, so we've got a member in our team. His name's Travis. He's our certified pyrotechnician. Mm. And then we've been launching with the New South Wales Rocketry Association as well as the Canberra Rocketry Group. And those two bodies, they're certified rocketry associations. So by certifying their members, those members inherit all the launch insurance, Mm -hmm. for example, and all that legal stuff is taken care of by the club. So as a member, you go there, provided you're certified with the club to launch that particular class of rocket, uh, you can launch it with them. Okay. So you go, so you're part of this Mm -hmm. group. Are you selected to go to the States to do this? Or that you was this a project that you were wanting to do or you funded yourselves or how'd you get there? We were very fortunate. We had quite a number of sponsors contributing towards us getting overseas, particularly the University of Sydney's Chancellor's Committee grant. They mm-hmm. gave us a good amount of money to help with this project. Also, our own School of Aerospace Mechanical and Mechatronic Engineering, they helped us out as well. And we had many more sponsors um, Sydney Composites helped with mm-hmm. building the actual carbon fibre rocket itself. We had the Royal Aeronautical Society as well contributing to the rocket. Um, New South Wales government, uh, lots of sponsors. I'd say go on our website and check them out. Yeah, sure. And see the cool stuff that they're doing. So it's an open, like anyone can enter the competition. Mm-hmm. They just have to satisfy the requirements. Yeah, essentially. It's open to universities right around the world. So we had teams from... Canada, the United States, South Korea, Brazil, um, you name it, they were there. Yeah, right. Okay, how many people in your team? Officially, I think there were about 30 who worked on the last project, which was called Silver Eye. And then we took, I think, around 8 or 10 people across to the US. Uh huh. Why is it called Silver Eye? All our rockets are named after Australian birds. So good. So the Silver Eye is a little bird with a white ring around its eye. That's where the name comes from. And our upcoming rockets, I don't know if I can tell you what they're called just yet, but they're also named after Australian birds. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push you on that. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see it on your website when yeah. it when it turns out. Are you gonna enter that into competitions as well? Yeah, we will. Uh, we're planning on going back to the Spaceport America competition next year, and this time entering the thirty thousand feet category. So okay. I mentioned six categories. There are the three motor classes. And then for each of those, there are two altitudes. So 10,000 feet or 30,000 feet. Okay. Um, quick conversion in my head, 10,000 feet is about three kilometers? Yep, about three kilometers. Okay, wow. Yep. Three kilometers? Yeah. That's 3% of the weight of space. Yeah, yeah. Common line's 100K. And actually, there are university teams out there at the moment who are trying to launch rockets to the common line. Really? So it's, it's pretty crazy. But yeah, we're in a very interesting point in history where you can actually do these things as university groups uh-huh. and that's made possible by all these new manufacturing techniques such as yeah 3d printing cnc milling cad laser cutting uh it's a really exciting time to be 
doing engineering. It also seems like it's not just building a rocket. You're also getting skills, like you said, in coding and materials and also marketing, sponsorships and grant writing. Definitely. It's amazing the sort of stuff you learn on Rocketry. I'll add a few more things to that list. Sure. We were camping for the Australian competition a few months, months or weeks before the American comp. That was run in Funny Farm in Queensland. It's about eight or nine hours, I think, from Sydney. So it's a long way up there. And then this farm is pretty remote as well. So we were actually camping out there for the week of the competition. And when you're camping, you have to consider how you lay out your campsite, cooking food for all those people every night. Mm. The big logistical challenges as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had to also tow a trailer up there with the rocket on board. So we had to research how do you get rockets onto trailers and pack stuff up to transport like that on the road. You definitely learn a lot about lots of random stuff doing rockets. You know, a lot of the training NASA astronauts used to do was out in, in the deserts and stuff to yeah to acclimatize themselves, get used to isolation mm. and stuff. You mm. must have felt like a bit of an astronaut. A little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So now now we get to winning. How do you win a competition where you there's a certain height category? Do you, is it the highest you get in that category? Essentially, you're marked a number of things, but in this competition, the main factor was flight performance Mm -hmm. and the biggest part of that is getting to your target altitude so of course to make rockets go higher it's pretty simple you just put a bigger motor in Mm -hmm. but to actually get to a certain altitude very precisely that's difficult oh right so you had to get as close to ten thousand feet as possible exactly so we were wow yeah yeah the the category was ten thousand feet so we had to go for ten thousand feet we did some simulations on the day of the competition And we estimated based on weather conditions, we'd overshoot slightly and go 10,039 feet. And we actually flew using data logged on the rocket to 10,027 feet. Wow. So very, very close. We're very proud of how close we got. And what was the nearest other one? Do you know? The nearest other one, we were beaten out by another team. Uh, They took out what's called the Barrowman Award for getting closest to their category's target. And I forget what it was, but I believe it was less than 10 feet. So it was really, really accurate. So how did you win if they... Mm-hmm. Oh, but there were other things that other they... Other categories. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So, of course, you've got flight performance. Yeah, sure. Which is in part getting to that height, but then also things like recovering the rocket safely. Uh-huh. It has to come back in one piece. And then you've also got reports that you ride. Uh-huh. So we gave in a number of reports. There were various progress marks along the way. And then we also had a technical report at the end to submit. And we actually got full marks on that. Ah, right. Okay. Very, very proud of that. But it's also the reports as well as the rocket itself. Okay, right. Wow. Um, how fast does it get to 10,000 feet? Mm. The boost is about four seconds. So the motor burns extremely quickly. Yeah. And then the rocket will coast the rest of the way. I believe it's about 14 seconds to Apogee. Uh-huh. So it's an extremely fast flight. And we reach speeds of Mark 0.8, which is 0.8 times the speed of sound. Uh-huh. So the ones that go to 30,000 feet, do you reckon they, they go over Mark 1? They go supersonic. And actually, yeah. next year, in the coming competition, that'll be a big challenge for us. As we go supersonic for the first time, lots of interesting aerodynamic effects yeah. start to take place. Things like fin flutter, the mm-hmm. fins start shaking a lot at certain speeds. That becomes a bigger issue. So you need to do more intense simulation, strong construction techniques, more testing 
to make sure that your rocket will fly and actually stay together as it's going that fast. Okay, uh, I've got to stop asking questions. I've got a couple more. What did it feel like when you realized you won? I saw a photo of your team, yep. so I can kind of have a guess. What did it feel like when you, when you realized you won? What, was, what were you thinking? Uh, it's amazing. I think we were a little stunned at the time. We're the first Australian team to enter this competition, and we happened to do well enough to beat these other teams that have been there many, many times. So we're extremely proud of what we did and how we represented the country as well over there. And I think it was just really inspirational as well to know that if you put in the effort, there's no reason why you can't obtain great results. And just because there's an established group doing this stuff, you shouldn't be afraid to go there and try, sure. I guess. And that's that goes for many things in life. In science, there's this, like the idea that someone has a eureka moment, like you do your science and then all of a sudden, you know, Mm-hmm. It hits like, oh, wow, that's my work, you know, Eureka. Um, yeah. It must have been a bit like that. Like, wow, we did it. That's cool. Yeah, like, well, it was. And even yeah, going through, we, we were always confident in our engineering practice and that we were doing stuff really well. But it is hard to gauge how well you're doing exactly mm. when you're the only Australian team and all the other countries around the world are all off doing their own stuff. It's not until you get together at the competition, start seeing what other groups are doing, and then you start seeing the first rockets go up and you think, wow, well, we're actually competitive now. Yeah, it's, sure. It's a really amazing feeling. Cool. Uh, that's really cool. What do you win? Well, the prestige, of course. Yes. First of all, it's, it's an amazing privilege to be up there amongst those great universities. And we're very proud of how we got to that point. Uh, we also get a really cool trophy. Okay. Which the team gets to keep. <laughs> and we also won a little GPS tracker, which uh-huh. we can use in our next rocket. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, have you got much attention for it back here when you got back to Australia? Yeah, it's it's been a really big story. We've been covered by Channel 7, huh. uh, Channel 9, 9 or the ABC, a, a bunch of news outlets, the Australian newspaper as well. Uh, and I think what we're essentially trying to do is, now that we've got this attention, showcase to people what Australians can achieve in this region of space. It's an extremely new area for us. As a country, we haven't done that much in the realm of launching rockets. We've been tracking stuff for many years. Parks, for example, was there with the Apollo missions. Mm-hmm. But I think we're at a point where many Australians would like to see us taking a bigger role in space as that continues to emerge. That all began really with the Australian Space Agency being formed a couple of years ago now. So I think there's really strong interest from Australians in this area. And I think groups like us doing this work helps to encourage that some more. I think your timing is great. Like if nothing else, you've, you've nailed the timing. <laughs> it's really good. Okay. I, I could ask you many more questions, but I'll go on because I want to ask you about other things. Uh, the question we ask all of our uh, guests is, is what I'll ask you now. And that is, what does STEM mean to you? If I say STEM, what does that mean? STEM, of course, it's science, technology, engineering and maths. And I believe... The most powerful thing in STEM is when you put all of those together and do things across all those disciplines at once. That's why I said before I like mechatronics so much because I can combine bits of maths, science, engineering, a bit of artistry as well when it comes to designing stuff and make really cool things. I think that by having these skills, it really opens up so many new horizons for you. I see many friends who wish they could do more cool stuff and really I encourage them always to just get out there and start playing with things like try 
making something, try building that robot you've always thought of doing or try writing that piece of code because it's by doing things that you learn so much. Uh-huh. And really that's our philosophy as well with the rocketry team. You learn a lot, of course, in your classes, in lectures, but it's only by actually going out there and doing these projects that you really title together and make amazing discoveries. Cool. Um, I, I mean, I 100% agree. So there's a, uh, you know, the cartoon XKCD? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a joke in XKCD that I didn't get. It was a joke about um, a velociraptor. Mo- many of them are. <laughs> Uh, and it was a joke about the coding language Python and Velociraptors, and I didn't get it. So I went to learn Python mm. online uh, just so I could get the joke. Yep. Uh, the joke wasn't that great, <laughs> but learning <laughs> Python was. <laughs> and Python's a great language. We had a payload on the rocket, which was called TweetSat. It was designed by our Space 3 students at the university, and it was intended to be in orbit around the Earth. And then if you tweet TweetSat, TweetSat will take a pic of the Earth below and then tweet that back to you. Yeah, cool. And, and that was written using Python. So uh, yeah. a, a few years ago, uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine and I were sitting down and we came up with an idea to launch yeah. a satellite that did that, <laughs> that tweeted at you when you tweet yep. at it. <laughs> yep. We called it LOLSAT. <laughs> uh, low Earth Orbit something. Low Earth Orbit Learning Sat or something like LOLSAT. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's, it's the only thing it was going to do is tweet at you. <laughs> That's cool that someone's done that. Yeah, I'll have to yeah. tell him. <laughs> um, uh, Andre, if you're listening, um, LOLSAT has, been, has happened. It's good. <laughs> uh, but I didn't know Python then. Would you include, uh, you mentioned like design and stuff. Would you include the arts in STEM? I think there's always that saying that music and maths go together very well. Mm-hmm. And I do see many talented scientists, mathematicians, engineers who also enjoy music and the arts. So certainly art can reflect science and science is also an art in some ways. Like if you're trying to collimate a telescope, for example, that's a very fine skill to master. Or if you're aligning a bunch of mirrors for some laser experiment, that's also a bit of an art, some might say. So certainly it takes a lot of creative talent to do good science and even just thinking of new theories like some of the things we take for granted nowadays like the theory of gravitation for example it took some very creative thinking to actually formulate that Uh and certainly it's it's an art to think that way were you always science minded in school did you always want to go into rocketry at uni pretty well i think mum will agree with this i was always doing stuff with science when i was younger making bicarb soda volcanoes for example when i was really young or even as i got further along messing around with arduino and stuff these new robotic um, components that we have nowadays i just really enjoy experimenting with stuff and trying to do cool things with Mm -hmm. with science anyway so i'm going to ask you a question from our previous guest and i'm going to see what your answer is so the question from our last guest is what were the last three science-related books or articles that you read and did you like them? All right. Well, I think topical right now is the moon landing, which happened 50 years ago pretty much mm-hmm. to a couple of weeks back. Mm-hmm. So that's fresh in our minds. And I in, was fact, in fact, it's about now, 50 years ago, that they were emerging from their quarantine. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and so I was reading a Reader's Digest article recently 
which was describing the Apollo 11 launch day from Werner von Braun's perspective, right. which is slightly different. You, know, you always hear about what the astronauts on board Apollo were going through, but this article begins with von Braun waking up in his hotel room, jumping inside a helicopter, and then flying across to mission control. So it's a really interesting perspective on that launch. I really enjoyed reading about it. Mm -hmm. uh, the next thing probably is I have a little eight-year-old sister mm -hmm. and we read books sometimes together. And one book she had recently was about big cats. You know, we've got a, a new cat that we just adopted. His name's Jamie. He's a chocolate Burmese. And so right now, everything she does is about cats. <laughs> and so I'm a physicist. I'm used to dealing with electrons and molecules and whatever. But uh -huh. The, the closest thing you get to a cat is a computerized axial tomography, right? Yeah, exactly. Or talking <laughs> about Schrodinger's cat in a very yeah. sterile sort of way. But no, Don't do that with your sister's <laughs> cat, please. I'll, I really don't want to. No, no, no. <laughs> but it was just sort of refreshing to see that there are so many more aspects of science than what we might encounter in our own fields. I think it's important to always, even at a basic level, keep thinking about what else there is and reading about these other disciplines because in the end, everything connects in science. Uh -huh. And then the final book, well, of course, I'm studying right now. And last semester, we were doing quantum physics. Uh -huh. And I kept going to both of them, Townsend and McIntyre's quantum physics books. Mm -hmm. Those were a very big part of my reading last semester. And... They are challenging at times. Quantum physics is, you know, the stereotypical really hard physics subject. And, and it is, like, there's no getting away from that. But I think when you sit down and you think through things critically, they always make more sense. And so I found that by going through those two really good textbooks and just slowly chewing on bits of information, mm -hmm. I could teach myself even more about these topics. So did you enjoy those textbooks? Yeah, they did. I think they're, in they're the good end. textbooks. In the end, you know, in a, it was a, a love-hate relationship, I'll say. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, it's not always fun, but I think if you keep looking towards the end goal, which is to understand this concept, and you really enjoy the overall idea of learning about it, then I think those challenges along the way become more bearable mm -hmm. and you can find the motivation to read your textbook or do whatever else it is. Um, okay, good. That's a nice answer. I, yeah, liked, I like that. That's good. I will link to our previous guest mm -hmm. so uh, they get to see what your answer was. Okay. So now this is the opportunity for you to ask a question of our next guest and we don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked about rockets all of the past half hour or so. And so I'd like to give them a question about rockets uh -huh. as well. Uh, of course, nowadays we're looking towards going beyond the moon to Mars. And I think I'd like to ask the next guest if they were given the opportunity, would they like to go to Mars? Great question. One of our re previous recent questions is, if you could go into a black hole, would you? It's quite different than going to Mars. It's certainly even more one way than Mars is right now. Yes, <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> All right, there's a question. If you could go to Mars, would you? Uh, <laughs> if I could go to Mars on one of your rockets? Yes, yeah. because <laughs> it, it's good. <laughs> the last question I'll ask you is, everyone's a nerd, right? Everyone's a nerd. It depends on what kind of nerd you are. So some people are politics nerds or sports nerds or car nerds or science nerds, rocket nerds, whatever. Mm -hmm. I want to know what you're a nerd about that's not science 
Or another way to ask the question is, as soon as someone stopped listening to this interview, what do you want them to go and look up? What do you want to convince them that this is a cool thing to nerd out about? Oh, that's a hard one. I think it's because so much stuff I do is about the sciences. But taking a step back, I think what I find really important is education and actually teaching people about stuff. And that might not even be science, just anything really in life. I've got a little sister, and when I'm free, I like to just spend time with her and mm -hmm. with the family, just talking about stuff. And we've done stuff recently, like taking those little bicarb soda and vinegar rockets and launching those outside. And I think it's when I'm not doing STEM myself, I like to be teaching people about STEM, about just life in general, having those good conversations with friends and family about what's in their mind, what they're thinking about. And I guess essentially just connecting with people. If I'm not doing stuff in STEM, I like connecting with people and having good conversations and maybe sharing some knowledge that I have with them and at the same time learning from them also. So what's a resource that you'd go to with your with your little sister? Mm -hmm. If she says, you know, tell me something, you know, what's a resource? You mentioned little... Uh, yeah. like uh, liquid rockets version one. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, what's what's a resource that you'll go to to get ideas or activities to do or things to learn? Over the years, we built up a great library of science experiment books in our house. You get them from Demix, Amazon, Australian Geographic, Revit. There are all these little books for kids to play with, with all these experiments in them, which have like the, the volcanoes, um, your milk on a plate with dishwashing liquid, that uh -huh. surface tension one, for example. So I think they're a great resource to look at. But I also think about what am I doing in my degree right now? What am I sort of struggling with? And how can I explain that to my sister? Mm -hmm. So I think I've spoken to her about random science stuff in the past. And I often find that it's really powerful if you can take your university physics and somehow present that to little children. Mm -hmm. There's a big series of books. Um, Michael Ferry, I think, writes them, Quantum Physics. Oh, Chris Ferry. Chris Ferry, Chris yes, Ferry, yes. sorry, yes, yeah. I, and the first time I saw his books, I, for background, I should say, first of all, these books are taking physics concepts like quantum physics and presenting them to babies. So one of his books is titled Quantum Physics for Babies. Yes. And I think it's, it's really cool that he's taking these really deep, profound concepts and trying to extract those essential ideas and present them to children. Mm. And I think by doing that, you get to teach more people about science, but also you become a better scientist and critical thinker yourself by learning how to distill these complex topics into very simple ideas. Um, I have one of those. I have Newtonian physics for babies. <laughs> um, and Chris used to be here at Sydney Uni. He did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, there you go. So you, you're a nerd about being a nerd, I think. Essentially. It's fairly meta-nerd, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, was, I was trying to figure out what a nerd is. And I think a nerd, I'm thinking aloud, a nerd is someone who wants to bring in whatever they're nerdy about into everything else they do. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, let's say I'm a, um, a stamps nerd, I will try and find stamps everywhere. Or I will try. I will say things like, "Well, we should have, you know, someone mentions a uh, uh, orange juice, or like we should have an orange juice stamp." You know, someone mentions anything. Well, that'd be great on a stamp. Mm. You know, some people are t-shirt nerds. Yep. We should. Oh, that'd be a great t-shirt. Mm. Or band nerds, music nerds. Oh, 
I've got a great band name, you know, or something. So yeah. this is yeah. every time you're a nerd, yeah. you try and bring that thing that you're nerdy about into everything else you do. Yeah. And that being said, as a rocket nerd, I have tried building rockets out of random stuff. Yeah, cool. So we have something called the Barocket, which I put together with some friends a while ago. It's a Barocket tube with a small A-class motor. Yeah. And you, you've got a Barocca rocket. <laughs> Barocket. Yeah. <laughs> What's an A-class motor? So our rocket motors, they're measured in terms of impulse. Impulse is a force applied for a given time. And so the smallest motors, they're what's called an A-size motor. And they've got an impulse of around two newton seconds, I believe. So a force of two newtons applied for two seconds. And then every letter doubles the previous size motor. So a B motor is two A's, about four. A C is two B's, and so on. All right. And we were launching our rocket on an M motor, an M class. So that's two to the whatever power. Oh, wow. Uh, times 13, those, 12. Yeah. Something, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. And they really accelerate quickly after that point. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, it's cool. Exponential growth. Yeah. Wow. And how, like, where do you get an A-class rocket from? A-class motors, you can find them everywhere. And actually, if your listeners want to try it, they can go to a place such as Hobbyco in the city. Any good hobby shop will have model rocket kits. The Estes kits, for example, are very famous. And you can buy a rocket kit, assemble it, and then you could launch in a park if you wanted to. I'd recommend contacting the New South Wales Rocketry Association. You can just search them up online, find their website, and they launch at the end of every month at Whalen Reserve, out past Mount Druitt. Mm -hmm. It's not too far from Sydney, but it means you can go there, take your rocket, launch it with other knowledgeable rocketeers who can help you out if you get stuck, and just meet some great people. Okay. I think that's that's kind of what you were saying before. Just do it. Just get your hands dirty. Like, try it. And that's part of that. Just go and go to a rocket club and try it. Yeah, just try like, it. Like, why not? Yeah. Okay. Um, what's next for you? What do you do next after you've got your degree and, and all of that sort of stuff? Is it PhD time or is it getting a job at NASA time or is it – what happens? What What's the dream? Yeah, I think we'll definitely have to get to that point, step back, take <laughs> yeah. a look. Okay. Uh, I, I think – it's, it's definitely easy to just get caught up in studying and not really think about why you're doing it. So I think when I get to the end, I'll probably want to step back for a bit, check out what the options are, what I've done, where I think I might be going, and then decide. That being said, I'll definitely be considering working for a company like NASA if I get the opportunity to go overseas and, and try that. We actually got to go to... NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I was going to say on JPL. The, on the way back, yeah, at Caltech, on the way back from our rocket trip. And we got to meet many of the Australians who are working there now. Many of them are actually UCID graduates doing mechatronics. Then they did their PhDs. And then they went overseas to JPL. And they've got good careers there now. Yeah. So that's definitely an option. Uh, I guess it's a matter of, do I want to do a PhD at that step or go into work? And mm -hmm. I think in two and a half years... I'll make that call. Okay, fair enough. But definitely rockets. At the moment, I'm, I'm pretty fixed on rockets. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, we'll, we'll call you a, a Class Z rocket. That's what you are. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> what, yeah, what would be Atlas V? What was that? What would that be? Atlas V? Yeah. What class of rocket? Uh, these letters are mostly applied for hobby rockets but then people take it to the extreme and apply them to commercial rockets as well which is pretty fun to do yeah 
Um, off the top of my head, I wouldn't be too sure. It'd be an A something like an A B or an A Z or whatever because yeah, right. you've gone through once and you're repeating the alphabet again. Uh-huh. Uh, but if your listeners want to find out, they can Google rocket motor classifications. And there's a great Wikipedia article which actually goes all the way from those little A-class motors up to big rockets like the Saturn V. Yeah, right. And actually classify how their total impulses correspond to those letter classifications. Okay. It's really cool to check out, actually. I yeah, recommend sure. it. Thank you very much. Uh, congratulations again. What a cool story, a cool win. Hopefully, well, you know, hopefully we'll see you on the front page again next year going to 30,000 feet. Yeah, thanks, Tom. podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network, aeon.net.au.